0: On today's episode, two members of the Dartmouth Political Times with varying political views discuss their thoughts on a variety of issues. The date is the 13th of July 2020 um, and our guests today are Jack Nicastro and Mark Novikov, both members of the Dartmouth Political Times. Um, And today we'll be doing something a little bit different in that We'll be having a sort of um, exploration of Jack and Mark's political views. Um, you know what got them there, and what they would say to someone who is looking into this political um, philosophy, as it were. Um, so, Jack, Mark, could you introduce yourselves?
1: Sure. Uh, my name is Mark Novikov. I'm a twenty-two. Uh, I think I will be a twenty-three after I take them with the gap year that's about to happen. Um, I'm a major in uh, history and economics. I study a lot about Africa. And um, in extracurriculars, I love to play sports.
2: Alrighty, I guess I'll go then. So I'd like to first say that Mark is my awesome editor for the Dartmouth Political Times. Uh, I'm a 23. Uh, I'm on the dressage team, and I'm director of programming for the Dartmouth Libertarians. Um, Let's see, what else? How would I define myself politically? I'd call myself, I mean, if you get me upset, I'll probably start sounding like uh, an anarcho-capitalist, but in my heart of hearts, I'm really a classical liberal, um, small government libertarian type. Not that
0: scary. Cool. Um, And so, Mark, how do you define yourself?
1: Uh, I would say I have a little bit of trouble defining myself uh, truthfully, but I think that I would say that economically i'm a democrat a liberal in the in the new sense um and that socially i'm socially and culturally i'm a bit more of a centrist or maybe even a conservative
0: i see okay um so i guess to start with i'd like to go back to jack and just ask him to flesh out what he means by you know classical liberal as opposed to i think you mentioned anarcho-capitalism you know what what do those terms mean
2: sure i'd love to explain that so Classical liberals, you know, in the vein of Adam Smith, Frederick Bastiat personally is my kind of intellectual icon who I, I don't want to say model myself after because that makes me sound like an ideologue, but whose works really resonate with me most. Um, and so I he's kind of a proto-libertarian, more classical liberal type. And the delineation between that and anarcho-capitalism is that uh, classical liberals and small government libertarians believe that government not only has a right to exist, but really should exist, but the things that it should exist to do are are very limited in scope. And that scope, um, you know, libertarians is a very diverse philosophy. There are a lot of different kinds of libertarians, but most would say something akin to what I'm about to say, which is the only legitimate purpose of government is to defend the natural, negative, inalienable rights of all individuals, and that is life, liberty, and property. Whereas anarcho-capitalists would go so far as to say that um, government either can't and or shouldn't do those things, and that it is up to individuals and private associations to defend uh, their lives, liberties, and
0: um, physical property. Okay, uh, Mark, i will get to you in a second, but um, Jack, you mentioned negative, negative liberties. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, I'd love to discuss that because there's a lot of talk nowadays from people all across the aisle of rights and liberties and freedoms, and they mean very different things. So from a libertarian, especially a uh, laissez-faire, free market, capitalist libertarian like I am, although there are socialist libertarians um, who would disagree with this, uh, negative rights are rights from, they're things that you're born with. So for example, I can speak right now, and the only way for me to stop speaking, For somebody to stop me from speaking would be to coercively with physical force, you know, shut my jaw or put a muzzle on me. Same thing with think, thinking. I can think for myself. Uh, That is if you believe in free will, but that's a whole other discussion. But let's say I can think for myself. Um, I can choose what God to pray to. I can have a voluntary transaction with you if you're selling something I'm interested in and we agree upon a price. So these are things that that are innate and don't need to be prescribed. That is, they're not goods or services, Um, whereas there are people who believe in rights to things, right? Um, You aren't born with an apple or a sandwich, but some people say, well, it's a basic human right because it's a human need to eat, to drink, to have shelter. So some people have a right to, and these are positive rights, a right to a good or service for free or provided by the government, and libertarians do not believe in positive rights. In fact, um, we believe that that part of the program, there's a great Ostiak quote, quote about this, undermines the liberty and negative rights um, that I described previously. right? So if, if somebody has a positive right to my service and a right to something typically means that it you get it for free. Um, and I'm a farmer, I make wheat, right? I make bread, whatever they need, then does their positive right to bread? Mean that somebody now has the right to coercively take that from me without recompense. Um, anyway, those are the concerns that libertarians have with a discussion of positive rights, and we really only believe in negative rights.
0: Okay, thanks for that. Um, and so, Mark, you like broadly laid out that you are economically um, redistributionist, if I'm you know getting that right, as well as you know socially more centrist or maybe conservative. Can you just flash those ideas out? You know, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, sure. I would say economically, it's it's quite easy for me to define. Um, I think that we have a we have a responsibility as a society to to feed everyone, and I know that Jack disagrees with me on that, but I think that we must, you know, feed everyone. We must house everyone. Like everybody deserves to have their basic human rights met. People do have rights to things, or at least they should in a really rich country. If I were living in a very poor one that couldn't possibly feed everyone, maybe I would feel differently. But I feel like because I live in a very rich country, we must have a responsibility to take care of each other. And so to me, if you're a really, really rich person, I don't believe in some 100% tax rate of any kind. But you know, you should have to give away a lot of your money because I maybe not your wealth. I think wealth taxes are potentially unconstitutional and and really difficult to enforce, but you know, you should have to give away a lot of your income because to me, you are an extremely rich person. You've benefited off things like the rule of law. You might have benefited off of social services if you grew up poor. You benefited a lot from the country. And I think that it's your duty to give it back. And I don't really even mean it's your duty, you know, in a charity certified. I mean it's it's gonna be required in, in my in my ideal government, you're going to be required to give out a lot of your money. I would say my ideal top marginal income tax rate is probably 90%, which means that, um, let's say that, let's say the cutoff is a million dollars. So that means that every dollar that someone makes on top of a million dollars, 90 cents of it gets taken away and given to the government. And in my you know dream view, we don't, that, that money is then spent on on social services. So the, the best things that I can think of, I would say a large universal basic income. That's the most important thing to me, I think, because that means that everyone is capable of, of of paying for their own needs. Everyone is capable of it. Now, I know that some people won't because maybe they're addicted to drugs or maybe they didn't have an amazing education. And then I also believe in, you know, we build a lot of homeless shelters. I believe we have to still build food banks because people still won't you know, necessarily have all their needs met, even if they have the money to do so. Um, so that's, that's sort of what I believe economically, high tax rates, and lots of social services, the classic Democrat, you know, model, I guess, and I might even be farther left than those, I'm probably on economic issues, I'm probably most aligned with Bernie in the last election, or maybe Yang. Um, so, so and then socially is a little more complicated, because I feel like more recently, the left has gotten uh into a bit of like some social quandaries that I think that we probably shouldn't be involved in as as a left-word person. Um so I think that my views that are maybe not always aligned with the left is um I think that I'm a total free speech absolutist. Like there's just no scenario to me in which we should be regulating people's speech unless it is actively dangerous, which is exactly how the first amendment describes it. Um and that and I and there are, and people think of this as like a normal thing to have in the West, the West being, you know, the the developed world, but it's, it's really not. And I, I can think of literally, this was a news story yesterday. This uh, very famous soccer player in England received racist messages um, in his Instagram DM and the the person who sent the racist messages was arrested. And the person who was arrested was a 12 year old boy. Um, and they arrested a 12 year old boy for sending these racist DMs to this um, 10 millionaire uh famous soccer player um and there are similar examples in new zealand where uh there was a there was a massacre there and the, the person had a manifesto the person who committed the massacre had a manifesto and if you just sent the manifesto it was like read this crazy this crazy drivel that i read and if you sent that to someone you could face a fine and jail time um if you just sent the link to that manifesto um so there's a lot of countries that in the west that don't recognize this and even though that i think that we should it in america we tend to um, and I think we always do in America. Um, and the other one that I'd say is I, I don't believe that we should have reparations for slavery. I don't think we should be paying people because their ancestors were oppressed. Um, I, I have, I have my, my great, great grandmother was raped and killed in, um, in, in Eastern Europe, if Eastern, if I, if the Eastern European country in which that occurred to her sent me a check, I think I would find that deeply insulting. And I, I can't really imagine why I deserve one. I, I've never met this person in my life. Um, you know, I, I get that trauma can be intergenerational, but to me, that doesn't make any sense to be giving money out for things that you don't experience. Um, and then I would say the most the the most the most anti-left opinion that I have is that I, I don't believe in affirmative action. Just to me, uh, it, it, it breaks the 14th amendment, which is equal protection under the law. And to me, that's that's the greatest thing about America. and that's what that's one of the things that made me a Democrat in the first place, was when we think about, say, gay marriage, to me, gay marriage, the fact that gay marriage wasn't legal, was a blatant a blatant violation of the Fourteenth Amendment. Um so I think that I think that that is a problem to me um that that we have this situation in place where where we blatantly violate the Fourteenth Amendment and we say that some people are more equal than others and they deserve this extra boost because of just the pigment of their skin. Um, So that's that's what I'd say. Um, And that's how I define myself as, you know, economically Democrat. And I would say socially, I'm a little more murky, more centrist.
0: Okay, thanks for that, Mark. Yeah. So I think at this point, we have a fairly good understanding of what you guys both stand for. Um, And, you know, I always find it interesting how people arrive at their views and beliefs, because obviously you're a couple of guys who clearly have spent a lot of time thinking about this sort of stuff. Um, So before we get into kind of um, contrasting your guys' views, um, I just want to very briefly ask you know what led you to these conclusions at the, at this stage of your of your life. Um, you know, was it certain figures in your life? Um, was it certain books that you read? You know, how did you get to this point? Let's start with Jack.
2: Yeah, I, I love answering this question because I grew up in the progressive bastion stronghold, however you want to define it, of Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I went to a Fancy private school for lower and middle school that, uh, funnily enough, was extremely... I mean, it's really not about Democrat or left-wing, but extremely progressive, socialist, and since people will accuse me, since I'm a right-wing or a free market capitalist libertarian of throwing that word around, I just want to provide an example to show that I'm really using it as a positive description and not a pejorative epithet. So before Thanksgiving, I think this was in sixth grade, but sometime in middle school, um, I got lunch at the cafeteria. I got there early. My parents are surgeons. They had to bring me there early to drop me off. And so I, I depended on getting breakfast uh, at the school. And around Thanksgiving, they had something called the Hunger Banquet. And what this amounted to was they shut... And a lot of people got breakfast at the school. So they shut the school cafeteria down for breakfast. And they started handing out cards. And these were cards of immutable characteristics that you had for the day. So you'd be... Uh, let's, I think I got like a black, trans, Muslim woman disabled um, Again, people may say, oh, you're, you're fabricating this, you know, hand to God, although I'm an atheist, but whatever I, I, I swear this is the truth uh, for whatever that's worth and after getting this card Depending on uh, somebody would read it and they'd assign you to a line and based on your immutable characteristics You'd either get poor medium or high quality food for the day to show how uh, in America Um, The things that you have access to, the goods and services, how you're respected and treated by other people is purely contingent upon your immutable characteristics. Later on in the day, there was an exercise where uh, now it had nothing to do with cards. Some person was just arbitrarily given 500 pieces of candy from the candy czar, let's say, and everybody else was given one or none. And then the teacher, this was all administered by the administration, the teachers, um, they'd say, do you think this is fair? And all the kids would say, No. And then they'd say, Well, what do you think should happen? And then all the kids would say, Well, we think you should take candy from that kid and redistribute it to us. Right? So these were very um, dogmatic and very superficial and shallow ways of indoctrinating children. I mean, middle schoolers. I think of how young, you know, freshmen in high school are from our perspective. These are fifth through eighth graders in a socialist, anti individualist. Uh, And just to make it clear, I just like, I think that I described Marx's positions on social issues earlier as libertarian, not conservative. You know, I'm also against affirmative action because I think that it is a flagrant violation of the Fourteenth Amendment. All these schools receive federal funds, so it's not like, oh, it's a private institution, it can do whatever it wants. It's only a pseudo-private institution because it receives federal dollars. And the fact that somebody's race or other immutable characteristics should be factored into positively discriminate in their favor i don't think there's such a thing as positive discrimination discrimination on the basis of immutable characteristics is foul and morally impermissible to me so i will take a very hard hardline stance on that same thing free speech absolutist etc etc and these these positions clearly i mean after telling you this story it's clear that it was this ideological intimidation from a a young age having this stuff really force-fed to me And I just went in the other direction, you know, went on YouTube, started watching uh, William Buckley Jr., Milton Friedman, Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, and I kind of went down this libertarian, classical liberal rabbit hole. And it really spoke to me because um, I had kind of been forced into this very far left-wing, I, I hesitate to call it progressive because that has a positive connotation, and I don't think it's positive, but this real socialist indoctrination, and it's actually what resulted in me going to, it's funny, this happened at a private school, and I fled to the public school of the Bronx High School of Science uh, an hour and a half away from where I lived in Brooklyn to escape this ideological intimidation. Oh, and and God forbid you voiced a libertarian or, oh oh my God, a conservative viewpoint in this setting? Um I know some people personally who did this. I, I actually kept my mouth shut, if you can believe that, back in those days. So I never faced administrative repercussions. But friends and people who I'm really close to did, and um, very scary at a young age to basically be threatened with suspension. Uh, I know some people who got suspended for saying conservative, very like mainstream conservative libertarian things. I find it abhorrent. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and Mark, yeah, what led you to your views?
1: Um, I guess what led me to my views, I mean, I'm also from a very, you know, liberal, progressive place. I'm from Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, you know, growing up, my parents are pretty staunch center-left Democrats, you know, the kind that always vote for the more moderate candidate in the Democratic primary, and then they campaign for them, and they're, you know, they're really big, they're really big Democrats, and they, 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 uh, they they love being Democrats. And so that's, that's sort of how I was brought up. And I would say that, of course, you know, immediately, that's the way I was for most of my childhood. Um, And then sort of as I started to age, sort of like the end of high school and stuff, um, I really started to think, I think it was the 2016 primary that really got me thinking. And I was starting to, I was starting to hear like this sort of like, I think I now I would call it virtue signaling, but I didn't know what it was called at the time. It's just this sort of like, you know, these like woke sort of things that were happening. It's like this doesn't like I don't like this stuff. Like I don't really. And I, so I was started just by getting sort of annoyed by that stuff. But again, like, you know, the economic stuff, it, it had always made sense. It's not that I never questioned it. I, I think I hope that I question it every day, but it, it, it made more sense to me. As I said, Like if you if you make a lot of money, In a country that is the best country in the world, maybe the probably the best country ever, in my opinion, then, you know, you owe it to take care of all the other citizens in this country who aren't as lucky as you and maybe aren't as talented as you you still they just because they're less talented, or less lucky doesn't mean they don't deserve to eat. So to me that that's, that's what, that's what made sense to me economically. And then socially, I just I felt like I started to see these, like, these things that I didn't make any sense to me. And, you know, whether it be reparations or affirmative action or stuff like that these or whether it's things like cultural appropriation that became a thing as soon as I graduated and I was like this doesn't make any sense like people are really getting upset over each other when they positively adopt another culture's practice you know or symbol it's like I, that didn't make any sense to me that's a huge compliment I mean maybe if you like I, I'm Jewish maybe if you wore a kippah and started making fun of me like that's different but if you if you you know if you started wearing your hair in curls and you were like, "I think this looks great," what am I gonna? What am I? I'm supposed to say that hair annoys me because it's my hair. Only Jews can have that hair, and to me, like that's that's ridiculous. You just said that you like my culture's hair, so, so, so to me, I there were just sort of these like social positions that I never really understood. Um, I think the body positivity movement was another one of those. You know, there were just there was this sudden like, you can't say that being obese is not healthy. Um, and that really upset me. It felt like I was losing like an objective truth that I that I knew. Um, so these social positions really upset me. And I, and I would say freshman year of college, I just like defined myself as like, I don't know, an angry liberal, <laughs> like I didn't have a good way of talking about it. The fact that I agreed with them on most stuff, but there were like these social issues that really annoyed me. Um, but then I'd say more recently, I started to read a lot of writers and found that there are actually a lot of people like this um, who think very similar to me. Uh, I think a great example is um, Coleman Hughes. He's uh, he's 23, I think. Um, he graduated college like two months ago, and he was writing a bunch on race issues. And he writes about race in a, you know, you might say a centrist or conservative way. And yet, you know, as he proudly says, he says, I've only ever voted for Democrats. Uh, he actually testified against reparations in the House. Um, so, there's, there's another, there's a Columbia linguist named uh, John McWhorter, uh, who writes pieces in the Atlantic about uh, anti-racism and about wokeness and about the the issues that it causes. Um, there's a guy named Yasha Monk, another academic who writes um, in the Atlantic frequently about wokeness. There's a great article called Stop Firing the Innocent about cancel culture. Um, so I think that uh, th- once I sort of learned, and this was pretty recent, but once I sort of learned that this, it's actually quite normal for Democrats and liberals to have these sort of like social opinions that don't seem to line up with what's going on and, and it's it's normal. And, and so once I started reading those people and I was like, yeah, this, this all makes sense to me. Like I think, and I actually believe that I owe it, you know, to the same the same society that I believe should exist to counter these, these social ills. Because, you know, for example, I think of like the Black Lives Matter movement, sorry, I'm taking a while for this answer, but I think of like the Black Lives Matter movement you know, it's really about ending, it's probably about ending racism. It's really about, you know, ending police brutality. And meanwhile, I'm watching, I'm watching people resign from their animated shows, um, because they're voicing someone who's not of their race. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I have a duty to call this out as ridiculous, because I know that there is no, you know, legitimate black person who feels who, who like fears for their life, because, a Jewish comedy actress is playing a black person on an animated show. Like they don't care about that and nobody does. And meanwhile, black people they want police brutality stopped. And meanwhile, what do we give them? We give them people are gonna stop voicing people of other races. So to me, I feel like because I'm, you know, such a economic liberal and because I believe in equality and because I believe in the Fourteenth Amendment. I have a right to stand up to these ridiculous social ills that really just distract us um, from the, from the true things that we need to be accomplishing, which is, you know, ending poverty in our country and, and making sure there's more equal treatment.
0: Okay. Thanks for that, Mark. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to get into economic redistribution because that's kind of a theme that we brought up and I know that you guys disagree on that. So... Um, I mean, okay, let's start, Jack, let's start with what you think, um, in contrast to what has laid out, because I think we generally have an idea of, you know, what he thinks.
2: Yeah, sure, I'd love to talk about this, and one of the first myths I'd like to dispel, at least about what, you know, free market, capitalistic libertarianism means to me, isn't, oh, you know, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, um, you know, you get what you get, you don't get upset, there's no helping other people. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, in fact. One of the reasons why I believe so strongly kind of against government redistribution programs is because I see a lot of graft, um, a lot of spending going to administrators and the apparatus that is actually administering these things, which is why, funnily enough, Mark and I and conservatives, conservatarians, libertarians, people of all stripes actually really like UBI because it gets rid of all this graft and waste. Um, And there's just kind of this economic principle that people are um, generally rational. They don't really... Completely satisfy their needs in exactly the way they should they do something called satisfy. Anyway, uh, you could you know Look that up on Google. I'm not an econ professor. So I don't want to butcher the explanation um, But regardless giving people actual dollars and cents um, Would be a lot more efficient than what we're doing right now. So if we're gonna have government doing this redistributive stuff I'd rather have UBI. So Mark and I are gonna agree with uh, each other on that However, um, again, kind of axiomatically, there's something that libertarians believe in called the non-aggression principle, and we're just fundamentally, we believe in voluntarism and avoiding coercion, personal, you know, I don't have the right to tell, you know, put my hand over Mark's mouth and say, hey, I don't like you talking about uh, redistributive policy. shut up. That's obviously abhorrent, and I don't believe in the government doing that to him either. Similarly, um, while I do think it's really important, and I also recognize the diminishing marginal value of the dollar, you know, to take a dollar away, to take somebody's, 90% of somebody's millionth dollar away is certainly different than to take uh, a dollar from somebody who only has one dollar. You know, you're not going to find an intellectually honest person that disputes that claim. However, I don't believe in, in coercion at all. You know, I'm against murder, I'm against sexual assault, I'm against literally all forms of physically doing something to somebody that they have not requested or consented to and that's what taxes not just redistribution now I'm gonna to get to the taxation is theft thing I mean it is by definition theft now if, if you want to say that well it's theft but it's for legitimate purposes that outweigh the anti-consent the anti-voluntarist aspect to it now that's an intellectually honest conversation to have but it is theft uh, I didn't agree to it, I was born into this society, you know, I think, I think it's absurd to say that you have endorsed something just because you've signed this magical social contract and you must agree to it and you can't speak out against it. Okay, well then we'd still have slavery in this country. So clearly nobody believes stuff like that. I think that Mark's argument about, uh, like I said, I went to an amazing public high school, um, although it, it's, it's amazing because it's one of the specialized high schools and it receives a lot of outside private funding, et cetera. Et cetera so it's a little more complicated. Um, but I do, and I think most Americans do recognize that just by virtue, by dint of birth of living in the United States with all of its infrastructure, uh, and I do believe in the, well, okay, so I do believe in the provision of public goods like roads, um, in which case I would necessarily need to believe in taxation, so I'm even contradicting myself here. Um, but regardless, going over that that clear intellectual quagmire for me, uh, if you'll pardon that, Um Most people do genuinely want to help others, especially people who know that they have more than, let's say, they need in order to literally sustain themselves. Um, So, you know, I, for example, you know, I I go donate blood. I'm physically fit. I have no genetic malformities, whatever. It does not cost me anything except an hour to go to the Red Cross in Manhattan and donate my blood. And I do it frequently. Uh, However, and people literally need that to survive, right? And there's a blood shortage right now. However, I wouldn't support the government saying, well, people need this blood to survive. This blood has literally no marginal utility for you. We carry like an extra liter, two liters of blood. Um, And because the marginal utility for you is zero, you have excess of it, and some people are in need of it, I'm going to take you at gunpoint to the donation center to have your blood extracted from you. Now, this policy would certainly help a lot of people. You could, from a utilitarian perspective, justify this. But I think most people would say that that's absurd. And it's because people really do believe in this principle of autonomy. And libertarians are are autonomy absolutists. So, and especially for redistributive things that, you know, I benefit from the roads as much as anybody else benefits from the roads, the bridges, the military, right? Non-rivalrous, non-excludable. But redistribution is straight up theft. And it's it's very analogous, I think, to the blood donating example, right? Even if it doesn't hurt me, let's say um, I uh let's say somebody makes 10 million dollars a year you know taking a dollar or five million dollars away from them doesn't appreciably hurt them and it can appreciably help a lot of people but i'd still be against it on the axiom that it is wrong to coercively do something to, to somebody else certainly to do something to somebody else who's innocent and did not act coercively aggressively or physically violent to you so that's where i stand on economic things oh sorry and finally Um, And I wrote a piece for the Dartmouth Political Times about this. It's called um, Britain's welfare state, benevolence backfires, and I basically give an account of how in Victorian times before the welfare state came into existence There was a welfare society. Let's say there were mutual aid organizations, charities, secular organizations, religious organizations, fraternal organizations, uh, sororal or you know the feminine version of fraternal organizations, etc, etc and um, You know, this is just one example, so I don't want to say that this is how it would work everywhere. You know, I I recognize it's kind of anecdotal. Um, But uh, I I don't remember the exact date, but there was a time during the Victorian era where people who, let's say, socialists would call bourgeois, um, you know, middle-class people gave 10% of their annual incomes to charity. Not to mutual aid organizations, right, that is kind of insurance that they'd also benefit from, but to straight-up charity, totally redistributive. They won't get um, any benefit from it. And that was in a time where people made less and money translated in real terms to fewer things, and yet they gave 10% of it away. So I think that the government getting involved in this stuff in a very inefficient way has crowded out private solutions that are more efficient and
0: non-coercive. That's my spiel. Okay, thanks for that, Jack. So, um, Mark, do you have anything to say to that off the top of your head?
1: Um, Yeah, I guess so. I guess I have lots of things to say about that. I'd say the first thing... Um, I guess I'll address the blood donation comparison. I think, it, I think it's a good one. Uh, it's, it's certainly clever. Um, so I, I'd say that there, there is a situation in which I'm comfortable with forcing blood donations and, and here's the situation. So the situation is that you have that you or someone you know or a lot of people you know, have received blood and do receive blood all the time. Um, so it's something that you've grown up receiving and also that some people have like that. uh, So, and then, and then on top of that, I would say that it it needs to not be super painful. There needs to not be a whole segment of the population. You know, I, I was terrified of needles growing up, like, and I know people who still are like, it, it can't be something that people are really, that people deeply find painful, intrusive, violating, you know, maybe. I can't really see a scenario in which taxes are like this because we've been giving we've been giving taxes since the dawn of civilization. So maybe if in an alternate universe where taxes are this difficult to take. And to me, that's one of the reasons why, like, you know, in the Constitution, we have something that's against direct taxes. We can't take direct taxes, which is why the wealth tax is often thought to be unconstitutional. But you can take income so that's why that's one of the beauties of an income tax to me is you're not taking it from someone you're taking it before it even reaches them your check has less money on it because of the income tax it's not like i took it from you and so it's really to me it's impossible to say that was painful and you can't even claim that oh the pain was in the money that i lost because as i said i don't support taxes being taken from people who can't afford to lose any money. I, I, I mean, I would only take it from you if it wouldn't be painful to use. And to me, you know, this is similar to my social view that for example, being offended doesn't make you right. It doesn't even make you right to be offended. So to me, that's the same. If, if a really rich person told me, you know, that that money you just took from me, it hurt me. I would say, I don't believe you. And th- to me, like th- that's, that's sort of it. Um, yeah, so Jack, I, I know you want to say something right now.
2: Thanks. Um, I'd just like to clarify because I, I really respect your, your argument and I think it's a good one. But i just I just like to say that by saying, by getting into the whole, you know, the marginal utility I'm getting for my two liters of blood and, and uh, I will also provide that for me, it's super painless. This is why I was trying to say that there's no cost for me other than the opportunity cost of like an hour of my time. So for me and other people, and let's in this moral conceit, let's say um, people liked or let's say they at least don't like not, they don't not like um, giving blood. It's not painful. There's a magic new technique. It's just, uh, you go through a scanner, now it has your blood. I don't know. This will exist in the future, I'm sure. Um, and again, it's it's only blood that they really don't need that has no marginal utility for them. Um, so, so the argument I was making wasn't about pain, and it wasn't about it bears an actual cost and detriments their lifestyle or ability to live. It was... It was far more axiomatic than that. It's just, even if all those things were true for everybody, um, I I still wouldn't be supportive. And in fact, I'd probably violently resist a government that was putting people into cars uh, very benevolently just to ship to the clinic, take their blood, and send them back. Uh, Just because it's... And if they didn't do that, well, governments... uh, Marx's ideal government would... uh, I think he's admitted, and pardon me if I'm assuming too much, would do this. You know, they would do this. It's not... Uh, Mark said himself it's not up for debate it's not something you should do it's not that you should feel this charitable
1: spirit it's that you you must well, oh, just, and i think just this, to interrupt it's not that it's not me, that you the, must it's sorry, that me. it's that you should and because you should i feel comfortable doing cuz if you don't i think you're a bad person you know so to me it's not that you must i don't honestly care if you do you know it's just about um it's just about the fact that you should and i think it's 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 the only moral option that you should so I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable coercing it because it's the only moral option to me. Um, so I don't really. Again, I don't really care about your morals. If if that makes sense.
2: Right. Uh, I mean, again, there's there's a, an aspect of that argument that really resonates with me. I believe in objective morals. I believe the non-aggression principle and negative rights are objective and inviolable. Right. I believe that so so strongly that I'd use force, which otherwise I'm 100% against, to defend those things. So I think that there's actually a lot of overlap, but kind of in different directions between what Mark and I uh, are yeah, saying. Yeah, I mean, again. I think
1: that you're not yeah. denying that the government has to use force. I guess that's what you're saying, you know, that's what you're saying differentiates you from an anarcho-capitalist is because that you believe the government can use force. So I guess, so to answer your question, because to answer Sorry, you interrupted me. To go.
2: Oh, sorry, but but just to defend negative rights. Yes, yeah, right. Just rights. to defend
1: negative rights. But to answer your analogy, to to close it, I to be honest, so I want to give you the closure of like winning this one because I think you have. If blood donations were quick, easy, and painless, and I mean that in the truest sense, I mean you walk home, and all you have to do is you yes. you just you just go like this on the door next to you, and you just on the wall next to you just walk in and you tap it. And it's an amount of blood that does not affect your life in any way. doesn't affect your life in any way. Absolutely. And all you got to do is tap the wall for one second, and it doesn't affect your life. And we have a blood shortage. You know, there isn't enough volunteering, which you said there was. I don't know as much about blood donating because I don't like needles. Oh, (laughs) no, no, but...
2: No, there isn't enough volunteers yeah, no, I right believe now. You. This is actually, especially. Yeah, I the believe, you. I believe. You.
1: Yeah, there isn't yeah. enough volunteers. So I just don't know a lot about blood shortages because I am, am afraid of needles. So, so if it's just as simple as tapping the door, which I would definitely do. Um, and then immediately like that, a baby is saved, you know, to me, as you said, objective morality, I totally agree with you. There is an objective morality. We obviously disagree on it. To me, it would be objectively moral. Mm-hmm. You got to click the door when you enter, you know, and if you don't, I, to be honest, I, I guess to, to end it, I would be comfortable, you know, with police coming and putting and, and you know, mm-hmm. either forcing you to put your arm on it or, you know, I guess if you refuse to, to put you in jail.
2: Mm-hmm. And I also recognize, I think that what you just explained is that in this example, you'd very rationally, and I'm sure a lot of people, maybe more people would agree with you than agree with me in this example, um, say that utility trumps autonomy. I know, Mark, you wouldn't feel comfortable generally in your life using the state or your own body to physically force people to do things, obviously. And obviously if I'm presented with a scenario where I can do more good than bad um, versus a scenario where I can do more bad than good, I will pick the scenario that does more good than bad. With, with the caveat, and this is because I prioritize autonomy above utility, that it would require me to forcibly do something to somebody else, and you know, th- this is um, it- this is just kind of an axiomatic, like postulate, foundational moral difference. It's it's not that we're bad people. It's just that we recognize both these moral precepts, but our coefficients in front of them are are kind of swapped. That's it.
0: Yeah. Um. I guess something that pops to mind when more, I'm sorry, when uh, Jack was explaining his views. I think specifically on, like, the government as opposed to voluntary organisations. I think you mentioned Victoria in England. Apologetically, I actually don't know much about that. Um, But I think the the thing that popped to mind was that um, it would seem that on a massive scale, a centralised body would would be more efficient. I know that you probably don't agree with that and you probably think that, no, voluntary organisations are more efficient for a range of reasons. But um, I do appreciate you pointed out that, I guess, the fundamental axiom on which you're operating is that individuality and autonomy trump utility anyway and trump efficiency anyway um so i guess that's kind of you know the ending point of this discussion so far but i'll let jack let jack have you know the last word before we move on
2: yeah sorry not to drag it out but you know i i'd like i think what drew just said perfectly encapsulates my opinion and if i'm going to be intellectually totally honest like mark just was with you know accepting my whole moral framework hypothetical of the blood donation thing Um, It just so happens, at least in the research that I've seen, I'm sure I'm blinded by confirmation bias to to one extent or another, Um, you know, you would think that, you know, a central body could administer um, social services for a large group of people more efficiently than voluntary organizations. Uh, I think that that is demonstrably false in England and the United States. You need to be hard-pressed to find people who'd say that it does these things efficiently. Now you may find people who say that they do it more efficiently than private charities, and I'd dispute that, and then we can have a a discussion about the facts, uh, just the empirical realities regarding those two scenarios. Uh, However, again, this is the part where I'm going to be 100% honest, even if it were true that the only way to provide charity was through a coercive state and that voluntary private organizations could not effectively do this, Again, I don't think this is the case. But even if it were the case, and the historical record did substantiate this, because it's an axiomatic moral belief of mine, I would still choose the situation where um, fewer people are helped and the utilitarian would see it as a horrible situation, but people's autonomy and negative rights are not violated by the government or anybody else.
0: So, just to be cool. honest. No, thanks for that, Jack. Yeah. And I think after this, maybe we could talk more about Um, those specific systems, honestly, I don't know enough and it'd be nice to get your opinion on that, but yeah, um, moving on. So obviously I want to ask you guys about the presidential election, just your thoughts on that, what you think of the candidates and, you know, the, the, um, situation or environment generally. So I'm going to start with Mark, if that's all right.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so with the presidential election, I, uh, I campaigned for Yang in the, uh, in the nominee, in the. Primary, I you know knocked doors for him in the great state that we used to go to college in New Hampshire. Um, so I knocked doors for him. I made calls for him. Uh, I was a big fan of Yang, and I planned to vote for him. Um, but I was still voting in California because at the time I I felt more connected to California than New Hampshire, um, and also I was worried about the legality of voting in New Hampshire. Um, so I'd vote in California, and Yang had dropped out before I had a chance to cast my vote for him. And I didn't want to cast my vote for someone who had dropped out, although I know some people did. Um, so I decided to vote for Bernie um, in the end. And I think the best way of explaining the fact that I voted for Bernie is that I believe, again, I, as I said, economically, I think we actually agree on a lot of things. He had said that he wanted a wealth tax. I, I said, I have some constitutional, you know, questions about that. He also supports a $15 federal minimum wage, which is my opinion is probably too high on a federal level but maybe it could be mandatory in certain population densities or something like that so i you know generally agree with some of those things um you know in criminal justice we agreed on a ton so i feel like i agreed with him probably more than i agreed with like a biden or a klobuchar type um and then on top of that i thought he had a really great chance of winning i thought that energy was going to be really important in this election we needed someone who had a lot of energy behind them and I think, you know, I, I, like almost every Democrat I know, was voting a lot based on who had the best chance of beating Trump. And I, and I truly believe that Bernie had the best chance of beating Trump. And now that I'm witnessing it, I, I almost feel a little, I almost feel uh, vindicated a little because I still feel like Bernie would be have a better chance. And especially right now, I feel like socially, culturally, we're drifting in these directions that I don't like. And one thing that I always respected about, about Bernie's, he never really fell into those holes. Occasionally he would virtue signal into those, but like you could tell he wasn't enjoying himself. You know, he cares about economics. I care about economics. He never felt, it was not Warren who cared about economics and the social stuff. And she loved the social stuff. She thought to galvanize her supporters. That was not, that was not me. I, I, I you know, economically I said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty far left. I believe in redistribution and Bernie does too. And so that's why I voted for him. And then socially, I mean, I, I sometimes, you know, not dream because that's kind of weird, but sometimes I think about, you know, what would what would Bernie be like right now if you're the nominee? And to be honest, I think we'd be even a better country right now if you we were just the nominee, because I believe that socially, especially as a party, we're drifting in these directions that I don't think are very good. And I think that Bernie would be able to say, look, you know, Mount Rushmore does not need to go down. Mount Rushmore is fine, you know. In a way, everything is stolen land, but we also don't need to give it all back. You know, it, the founding fathers were slave owners. That doesn't mean they weren't good political thinkers. I think that he's capable of expressing these things with, with you know, a measured and nuanced opinion, because I believe that at the end of the day, he's a truthful and honest man and more honest than almost any other politician I see. Maybe even Jack or other conservatives would, would agree with me on that. He's been the same. He's been saying the same thing for 50 years. So... So to me, that's that's that was how I feel about the election. And, you know, I'm going to vote Biden because I think that Trump is a little dangerous to democracy um because of things like firing all his inspectors, generals um and, and and other things like that and trying to fire Mueller, who was investigating him, for which I sort of for which I, to be honest, believe that he should have been impeached instead of for Ukraine, because he tried to fire the person investigating him, which seems like a blatant obstruction of justice. But so I believe that Trump is genuinely pretty dangerous to democracy. I I probably don't think if he gets reelected that America falls, but I think he's very dangerous to at least democratic norms. And I think that Biden isn't. Um, That's about the best thing I can say about Biden, though. I I don't love him. Uh, I think he's a little bit decaying at the moment and he's and i don't think he's as nuanced or measured or well-spoken or honest as 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 bernie was so i ended up casting my vote for
2: yeah i'd just like to say that mark was right i do respect the uh integrity and honesty of bernie even if i absolutely abhor a lot of his policies which i do um and uh i didn't campaign for andrew yang but on the back of the computer on which i'm speaking right now there is a huge yang gang sticker um, again, because I, I did respect, he he didn't kind of cow tow to the. Uh, you know, again, I don't want to call it progressivism. There's nothing progressive or enlightened or or forward thinking about treating people differently based on their immutable characteristics. That's racist. Um, there's no such thing as reverse racism. I agree with that statement. It's just racism. Uh, I believe that all that stuff is in actions. You know, you should be treat. You should be morally judged based on how you treat other people. Doesn't matter the race of those people. Thanks. I mean, I think most people agree with this, it's just they don't speak up because they're afraid of being called things. But you know what? I'm tired of it, like Mark, Um, and we're on very different sides of a lot of different things, and we agree on this. And I really just think that shows that, quite frankly, we're right about this. We're objectively right about this. To treat people differently based on their skin color or immutable characteristics, things that they cannot change, is morally impermissible. Uh, you don't need to be a radical individualist, an Ayn Randian objectivist, which I am, but you don't need to be those things clearly, demonstrably to believe that. Uh, and I'm sick and tired of, of these candidates that are, are, are you know, p- playing into that narrative. And I, I think Joe Biden has done it to a, a certain extent, and certainly to more of an extent than Bernie has. And, you know, less people think that I'm a Trump apologist or a pro-Republican, absolutely not. You know, I think that Trump... Again, you know, this whole, oh, he's bad for democracy. Listen, the, the government structure in which we live has not accomplished what I believe in. You know, respecting absolutely negative rights. So some people vote to have the government give them, let's say, let's say Republicans, they're not free marketeers. They'll vote for inward-focused uh, economic policies, barriers to trade, you know, embargoes, tariffs, excise taxes, uh, so that the distributional effects of that at the expense of the American consumer and at the expense of their autonomy and negative right to trade whatever with whoever they want, so long as they aren't hurting other people, and that includes drugs, sex, rock and roll, and all other things, um, benefits you know, American farmers, steel manufacturers, etc. I think that's an asinine and morally indefensible policy. Uh, anyway, the, the modern Republicans are all about that kind of economic um, protectionism. Uh, Again, uh, for people who are interested in learning more about libertarianism, I highly recommend uh, 19th century French philosopher, uh, economic journalist Frederick Bastiat and his essay, The Law, just if I could quickly plug that. And one of the things he says in there is that uh, protectionism, socialism, and communism are three branches of the same vine. Uh, So, you know, whether it's the Democrats just straight up redistributing funds from, let's say, my wealthy professional parents to other people, or the Republicans doing it in a roundabout, nuanced way through uh, you know, deficit spending and military spending and all these distributional policies to help, like, American domestic workers. Uh, you know, I, I abhor both sides' economic policies. Uh, I used to believe full-throatedly, full-hearted, wholeheartedly in the Democrats' pro-individualist, pro-14th Amendment policies, you know, back when the Democrats were arguing in favor of gay marriage. Of course, of course, that was a moral blemish on our history that people just, again, because of their immutable characteristics, couldn't enter this not only uh, kind of spiritual contract with each other, um, but a legal contract which had real, like, kind of tax implications and other serious implications. Um, but now the Democrats are on an anti-individualist bandwagon. Disgusting. I can't stand it. The Republicans on the other side, you know, they claim to be pro-individualism, but there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of provocateurs, there's a lot of provoking and antagonizing other Americans, and and especially with Trump in the White House, you know, the the kind of discussions we're having right now, you know, between, let's say, Mark and myself, who disagree on a lot of things, are becoming increasingly impossible. People are becoming increasingly polarized, and they hate people who disagree with them. They don't just say, oh, we have a difference of opinion in public policy because I've seen these facts and you've seen others. Maybe if we compare notes, we'll come to an agreement. No, if there, there are two camps, and I, this is a, lot, a broader conversation, but I'm worried it's going to kind of result in a cold civil war. You know, you say the wrong thing around the wrong person, it's uploaded to YouTube, you lose your job. Uh, did somebody actually kill you? No, although there, there is recent news and it's... Uh, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it hasn't been reported that much in the mainstream. But recently there was a woman... Um, and please look this up and fact check me after. But, but I've heard from an independent left-wing uh, journalist who I follow, Tim Poole. He covered this story where a woman allegedly said all lives matter to a group of Black Lives Matter supporters... Um, and, and she was shot and killed over it. So I, I think that, that is a one-off. Uh, obviously, most Black Lives Matter supporters... Now, listen, uh, I may disagree with some of the policy proposals of the BLM movement as kind of like this corporate organization, but obviously I agree with people when they say, kind of in, in lowercase letters, Black Lives Matter. Of course, they should matter just as much as any other life because we're all individuals with equal dignity, et cetera, etc., etc. Um, so I don't think we're going to have a hot war, hot civil war between these different camps, but this kind of cold war of canceling people, destroying their professional, social, uh, basically all aspects of their life for varying degrees of, of malfeasance and, and moral failures. Um, you know, I, and again, I'm not religious, but I, I do have a little bit of background in like Christian theology, and I think everybody's heard this phrase, you know... Don't judge lest ye be judged or, or something akin to that or he who is blameless he who is sinless cast the first stone And I think people are forgetting that they're to use Christian Terminology sinful, or at least in in secular terminology because I'm an atheist have have morally fallen short in their lives Okay, we've all done that. So should we all be canceled? I, I don't know. I, I think that the Republican Democrat divide really scary. I don't know who should be president. None of them are uh, interested in the things I'm interested in promoting, so I don't really care all that much. But I think that I'd support Joe Biden between the two. Uh, Well, I'm going to be voting for Joe Jorgensen because she's a libertarian because I vote my conscience. But um, I think if, let's say, literally you could only vote on the uh, the ballot had just a bubble for Donald Trump or it had a bubble for Joe Biden, I think I'd probably vote for Joe Biden because I think that these tensions... Uh, that are really becoming really inflamed would cool down. And I think that's important so that we can have conversations like these.
0: Great. Thanks, Jack. Um, and, you know, I won't spend too much time wrapping up, but I think we had a great discussion here. Thanks for you, for you guys for coming on and, you know, being very open with your views. Um, a lot to take away from this. And I think we'll probably continue this discussion outside of this podcast. Um, thanks very much for listening. And hopefully, join us again next week with another one of these sort of roundtable talks.